got uh, Lydia Gentle joining us here today from BHP. Fantastic career, some really great takeaways in so much as how she's built her career, uh, developed a philosophy of never saying no and how that's transpired to many positive things. Her take on engineering and the value it adds, uh, how she's developed not only her technical skills but also her leadership skills, her mindset skills. So there's some, uh, even a little bit of parenting in there as well in terms of you know taking uh, some good philosophies to us as parents as well and, and the importance of balance and the holistic self. So some great value add. I've really enjoyed the podcast. I think you will as well. So uh, thanks for taking the time to join us here and listen to the podcast. Lydia, thanks so much for joining us here today. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I'm going to set the scene a little bit before sort of going back to, I guess, where it all began. So today you're engineering manager at BHP, where you drive technical engineering solutions and oversee a capital portfolio. Uh, and, and in line with that, uh, June, you were uh, you achieved the or were awarded the Order of Australian Medal for, for your service to engineering, which is a fantastic result. But rewind back to when you were 17, I understand you had a pretty pivotal conversation with your teacher that maybe said all this in train. I did. That is correct. <laughs> so growing up uh, in North Queensland where you're exposed to really the farming industry and agriculture, um, when I was talking to my teacher, he mentioned I should be an engineer. And to be honest, I had no idea what engineers even did. Um, so it was quite a pivotal time for me. And because I, you know, I was in awe of, of, of my maths teacher, I always enjoyed maths. It was that simple, you know, correct or incorrect answer, which yep. I liked. Um, yeah, he explained the, the profession, said I had the, the perfect maths brain for it and I should put down engineering on my QTAC form. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, it's amazing the impact uh, a teacher that you admire or respect and their ability to sort of match your uh, your strengths to, to an occupation, but clearly it's worked out well. Yeah. Um, I guess sort of just picking up and transitioning from that, I'm really interested to understand your answer to the next question, uh, whether it was deliberate or just by chance. So you've worked in a variety of capacities. Obviously, you come out as a graduate and you worked in a design capacity working on mining and industrial projects. You then went on to, to go to London, something completely different, working on high-rises as I understand it. You've worked for privately-owned, smaller family-owned companies. Uh, you've worked on large-scale oil and gas and mining construction projects in a hard-dollar capacity for large uh, construction companies, uh, and now you head up, uh, you know, big capex projects for the largest miner in the world and BHP. Uh, I guess the question is: Was that deliberate to gain various experience in building your career in a certain direction, or put another way, was that just you figuring out maybe where you wanted to be? Um. A lot of that comes down to never saying no to an opportunity. Sure. <laughs> so I, gradu- I grew up uh, in a small country town, went to university in Townsville, um, and then had pretty much never left Queensland. So I thought uh, if I got a job closer to Brisbane, it might at least get me over the border yeah. now and then. So my goal really when I left university was to move to Brisbane, um, which I did and, and was fortunate to get a job with GHD. Um, and then... You know, I really enjoy my time um, with them. I just wanted to broaden my horizons and as most Australians do, and I highly recommend, you know, any young people in their career to, to take a sabbatical and, and go to England and, and do the exchange. It was absolutely phenomenal. So I spent 18 months 
in London um, working, uh, really got thrown into the deep end, got told you've been employed as a structural engineer, you need to act as one. So a year <laughs> out of uni, getting the responsibility to deal with some of the oldest buildings in the world and their cultural significance um, was a massive learning curve and one that I really am proud that I was able to rise to the challenge. We then spent six months travelling around Europe, which was phenomenal, mm-hmm. and I was actually sitting um, on the banks of the uh, CN in Venice having a coffee when a gentleman that I thought I'd worked with before sat down at the table next to me, um, and he worked for a contracting company here in Australia, and he said, you know, when you come back uh, to Australia, if you're interested to get into construction, give me a call. Uh, that's exactly what I did, and I got into construction. Wow. So I think just saying yes to these opportunities is really what um, has led me uh, in my career. Um, And then with BHP, I mean, they've got a phenomenal history. And when I saw the opportunity come up for an engineering manager, it was just one that I thought really suited my skill set. Wasn't looking for a role. I saw it popped up on LinkedIn. I thought, why not? (laughs) 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 I had done my current role for about five years and started looking for a change and I've, yeah, been absolutely blown away by the opportunities that I've had since. So it's just saying yes when no, opportunity well, that, presents. That's fantastic. Just on that sort of philosophy of, of never saying no, is that something that was uh, something your parents encouraged? Was that something, a philosophy of yours that you developed? Like, oh, I think it's a great philosophy. I think I like to think of myself as a well-rounded person um, and I'm absolutely driven by a challenge. I don't know if that's the engineering, you know, training that I've had is – you know, you take on a challenge and you want to succeed. And so I've always liked to think no matter what I get thrown at me, um, that you can rise rise above it or at least you'll learn something from it. So it really just comes back, I guess, to that ingrained training that you have as an engineer to want to take on a challenge. And, um, yeah, it served me well so far. Absolutely. That was the words I was going to use. It served you very well by the, the sounds of it and the look of it. I guess in, in charting out your career, did you simply say, you know, say yes to things and, and seize that opportunity or did you utilise anyone to help bounce off, is this a good step in my career? Do you advise whether or not that's advantageous to maybe where you want to go did, or, or did you just simply appraise it on your own and, and sort of, uh, you know, look at it on its merits and say yes or no accordingly? I think you really need a good base of, of people um, from across the industry that you can always throw ideas to. Ultimately, I think you need to make your own decisions, but you really need to sound out some of the pros and cons. Um, and for me, it's always when I know I've done a role well uh, and I feel like I'm not being challenged any further, which is when I look for something new. And that's always a really good opportunity to, to find out exactly what's happening in the industry, You know, what are some of the, the more broader challenges, and then try to really direct myself into into that pathway. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Uh, the next question is more making that transition. I think it's a transition that a lot of people sort of struggle to make. But talk to us about that transition from being a competent engineer and performing functionally well to then taking that step to leading other people and being a manager of a group of people, which, you know, different attributes, different skill sets, and a lot of people struggle with that transition. Um, I think they do, and I think the important thing is that you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it looked like I was getting close to my career where I would start leading a group of people, I did a fair bit of research into different leadership styles um, and what works for other people and, and looked at those that it you know that had inspired me. I think it's laissez-faire is the leadership style that I quite <laughs> you know, resonated to. So is that just, in any textbooks? It is. Yeah, it, is it, it would be, for sure. <laughs> 
Yep. So I think it's just understanding that. It's how you would approach anything in life. If you if you do your research and you plan for it, I think that will set you up for success. I definitely did a few leadership courses and I mean, you can have a fantastic group of engineers, but if you can't build the culture of a team, you're never going to be successful. So it's when you make that transition, it's really important to understand that people react differently in different situations and people have different motivations in life. If you can key into that, you can key into their why, then you can sell the strategy and you can be a great leader. Absolutely. Well, I think that's fantastic. But I love uh, the fact that preempting the fact that you would lead people, do a bit of research, inquisitive about different ways or uh, means to motivate and manage people, and just that commitment to learning. I think that's fantastic. So just uh, on that learning piece, a lot of people utilize mentors to fast track uh, their growth and development. Have you utilized mentors in your journey? I have had a few mentors in the past, probably more um not a formal mentor, but probably just someone that I look up to and respect. Um, And they've really been the ones that have given me advice on my career. Um, I think some of those formal mentor relationships are fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably, I've actually probably never been exposed to that opportunity, so it's probably something I'd like to take on. But um, And I have mentored a lot of people formally, but in, in terms of my own mentor, I've really drawn a lot of that career guidance um, from just people that I know within the industry and having those informal conversations. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've been maybe conscious of surrounding yourself with a group of people that you can use as a sounding board at different sort of avenues or junctures in your career to get that advice. And I think that's really important because, um, you know, mentors are fantastic, but sometimes when you move into a different, um, you know, area of your career, you may need to reach out to someone else that has that different skill set. So it's more just about being involved in the industry and being involved with different people that you can then use that network to connect to. Absolutely. So uh, obviously you've been in a position perhaps where you've had to stand out um, amongst other candidates for a job. So, I mean, have you got any sort of tips around um, when you apply for jobs or you present for roles about how you sort of stand out or differentiate yourself? I think it's important that you never stop learning. Yep. So if you look at my CV, yep. you won't just have <laughs> one qualification on yep. there. Yep. I mean, I've done absolutely everything you can possibly imagine. Um, you know, I've got my master's. I became a welding inspector when that was a requirement. I became a heavy lift designer when that was a requirement. You know, I've just stepped out and when I found something that interests me, um, you know, I just proceeded down that path. So I think that's really important when you do want to stand out is that you don't just have that straight you know, narrow career that you have broadened your horizons, even if they're activities that you take on in that extracurricular space. I think that really shows that you are, you know, a lot more focused if you're involved in the community, like they're the kind of people and the resumes that I tend to look for. Well, what I'm picking up there is uh, your willingness to go above and beyond. I think it's all well and good to do the norm. Yeah. And and you obviously fit in a bell curve there, but I think uh, the fact that you've gone out and got some of those additional qualifications or participated in different uh, avenues has put you in a light where it's kind of rare or unique or there's a minority of people that have done that, therefore you've stood out. Yeah. Further, obviously, your, your credentials and your experience. So I think that's a, it's a great takeaway for those guys and, and girls that are listening. Uh, now, I understand whilst in the UK, every day you would walk past uh, – Sir uh, Isambard uh, Kingdom Brunel, if I've pronounced that right, one of the best engineers in history. Uh, as we, you know, we're, we're the benefactors of some great infrastructure and engineering feats um, in our lives, do you think we shine enough of a light on engineers and the work they do? Uh, to be honest, I 
past, I don't think so. No. I, I think we're getting better at it. But what for me really stands out, whenever there is, you know, a major, you know, building that gets constructed, um, you know, or a new ship sails, you never call out the engineer behind it. Um, you know, same when there's a natural disaster and the engineers are almost the first on the scene to assess the damage and, and you know, design the, the rectification works. There's never that call out or that mention. So I think as society, we just expect that engineers are always there. I mean, from your coffee cup to your pen to your phone to everything in between, there's always been an engineer, you know, even spaceships. and mm-hmm. There's never, oh, this is who designed it. It's always, yeah, this is the company that, that paid for it or, or this is you know, what the government's done, uh, it probably would be good to have a bit more of a focus on the actual engineering team that, that's led some of the work. Well, I think that'll tie into the next question as we talked about just before we went to the interview. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, in a totally different way, I think we definitely need to glamorise the work that engineers do. I mean, uh, in a society when we're glamorising the work that chefs do, for example, and they'll become world famous and all the rest of it, and the work that they do in the grand context and the scheme of what engineers do, I think we could probably learn from what they've done to glamorise that role and bring that to the light. And you've got famous chefs now. Maybe in the future we'll see some some famous engineers celebrated for the work that they do, um, and that sort of ties into this next question. So personally, uh, I've got uh, young children, and I've got a bit of a vision to expose them to a range of different occupations and job types You know, through my networks to show them, you know, different things that they could do in their life, whether it's mining, engineering, property development, technology, et cetera. Um, so they have an informed choice about what they may wish to do because my experience was other than what my parents did and their their network of, of friends, I didn't really know what else was out there. I didn't really have a, a deep understanding. I didn't have a teacher uh, like yours. Um, so to the best of your knowledge, uh, you know, are civil engineering grad numbers increasing, decreasing, and any sort of ideas about how we might be able to rectify that? I think across the board it's been quite stagnant, um, especially in some areas of engineering there's been a decline. Um, and I think one that comes back to the piece that we probably don't recognise engineers enough um, and nor is there, are there many people that actually understand what engineers do. Mm. We're actually fortunate at the moment we've got eight first years doing winter vacation work with us. Fantastic. Um, and we've given them access or, um, you know, opportunities to visit all our mine sites, to visit our remote operations here in Brisbane so they can see how we control our mine mm-hmm. sites. We've done courses on social value. For them, the, the feedback from them has been phenomenal. They mm. said they've absolutely opened their eyes up to what an engineer does, especially first year we only have that very broad um, understanding. So I think the more exposure that we can give mm-hmm. to the up-and-coming generations so mm-hmm. that they can see what engineers do, I think the more that we'll encourage people um, to really go down this pathway because you can't see what, what you don't know. No. No. And Sorry. No, no, no. And, and I think to that extent, uh, do you have schools, uh, obviously universities downstream too far, but do you have schools reach out and say, hey, BHP, we'd love some of our students to come and do like a, a field trip of a mine site or your remote control operations or just actually understand what mining and engineering feats take place? Do you, do, you, do you get that? We do a significant amount of work in that space. Okay, um, so myself personally yep. and even quite a few people in my team have partnered up with the CSIRO yep. STEM professionals in schools. Perfect. 
Um, so we go to the schools, we'll attend you know, science fairs and, and then, you know, we try to give, you know, one of the winning teams the opportunity to come through our IROC and, and yeah. see what we do. So we offer that. Uh, we do a lot of work with the QMEA mm-hmm. uh, and encourage those high school students to, to visit our mines mm-hmm. um, and, and see what we do in the office. And also with UQ and other universities, uh, we, we definitely do that vacation experience. Fantastic. Now, well, I think uh, I think exposure is key because, you know, I think uh, maybe it was similar to you, but growing up, I had no idea what an engineer did. Yeah. You know, um, and in actual fact, a funny story, uh, a friend of mine, he chose to do surveying and I, th- I thought at that stage I was so ignorant, I thought he's actually going to go knock door to door and just do surveys. <laughs> you know, I didn't realise, you know, there was actually something much deeper or technical behind that. So I think that exposure is a, is a really good point. Talk to us. I mean, this is something that I'm really passionate about and really interested in and inquisitive about. Um, but uh, talk to us about that sort of uh, intersection between intelligence and mindset uh, and how you've gone about, you know, developing and growing your own mindset to meet, obviously, your, your high level of intellect. Talk to us about that. I think that's very important. Um, so mindset, I believe, will almost account for about 80% of your success in life. And it's understanding um, that sometimes you find yourself in situations and it's probably not a direct attribute of you as a person, um, but more of the situation that you find yourself in. So it's having that that positive mindset and that growth mindset to understand what are the steps that you need to take to then move on. I attended a session once, I don't know if you've heard of Chris Helder, but he's a motivational speaker. And what really resonated with me is he had this philosophy, which was 10 seconds of guilt, move on. Mm. So quite often you'll find yourself in a situation where, you know, you may be in a presentation and, and you've forgotten something or you've said something to a colleague that's not quite right and you sent, tend to sit there and fester on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the 10 seconds of guilt, move yeah. on. There's yeah. nothing you can do no. about it. It's already no. happened. Dwell on it for 10 seconds and move on. And I think that comes also down to your mindset as well. It's just, you know, rising above all those issues and challenges that we have because we all have there. And what next steps can I put in place to move on? You know, what is... The useful belief that I can have to then get me out of this situation because thinking positive is, is one section and useful belief, again, that was coined by Chris Helder, which is why I like it. It's, all right, well, what's the first step that I need to take to turn this into a positive? Um, and, you know, it's absolutely phenomenal when you see people that are in that fixed mindset that think everything happens to them and they have no control to those that then move to that growth mindset and you can see quite a diametric shift Absolutely. Well, I think that's a fantastic answer, just having that self-awareness to, you know, experience the guilt and all the rest, but not let that snowball or spiral into something much bigger. But other than that session with Chris, uh, how have you developed that? I believe some people uh, maybe more naturally have that growth mindset. I think other people have to work towards that. You know, for you, has that been something that's come a bit more natural or has that been sort of constant evolution of learning and understanding and self-awareness to get to that point? I think I naturally always had that disposition. Um, when I actually got pregnant with my first child, which is you know over five years ago <laughs> now, um, I just wanted to raise a really happy, healthy child. And I did a bit of research then and came across a book called Raising Happiness. And it was really about um, you know focusing on the behaviours, not the individual. So, for instance, when my done my son does something wrong I'll never say he's a bad boy I'll say that behavior was bad and this is how you should correct it to have that good behavior so it's never you know attributing someone as being bad mm-hmm. but it's their behaviors mm-hmm. and I think then that flows on to the mindset as well mm-hmm. is like almost moving yourself as an individual away from you know 
I'm the bad person, but no, maybe that the way I responded wasn't quite right. This is how I can do to fix it. Yeah, I think that's a really smart uh, action and uh, way to approach things on your part because I think when you're five, you don't have the self-awareness or sophistication or thought to brand the behaviour as bad versus me as an individual. Mm. You, you, you hear your mum or dad say, you know, you're a bad boy. You know, there's a part of that may reach your conscious or, or subconscious mind or psyche, maybe I'm a bad person. Mm. You know, so I think that's uh, really, really smart uh, on that side of it. So obviously that's something you're really, really conscious of. Um, I was just going to say the other part to that is, you know, then on the flip side, it's also – you know, praising people for the hard work and that comes into that grit and resilience as well. Mm. So people can, some people do have natural ability, but it's really that grit and determination and that, you know, getting up after you have failed and keeping, you know, and going on and on, which will really make you or make people successful. So even if, you know, your kids do something that's fantastic, it's always taking that philosophy. You must have worked really hard to achieve that rather than just putting that down to the natural ability. Um, and I'm not sure, have you read the book Grit? Oh, I have not read the book Grit. That's a fantastic book to mm. read. And it, it starts off when they do um, a review into the Beast course and that's mm. to get into um, the, I think it's the SEALs program sure. for, for the Navy mm. in, in yep. America. And they tried to work out what would make the best mm. um like soldiers, and they were recruiting from all your Ivy League schools. They're having the best results mm-hmm. from both, a, um, you know, mathematical and educational perspective, and also from a sporting perspective. And they were finding that even though they're recruiting the best people, on average, about seventy percent of the time, they were the ones that failed the course because they didn't have that grit and determination to keep getting up and going when it got hard. So it's just about going, no, you know, I have the resilience, I can get through this. And you have to have that mindset as well because you have to understand that sometimes you will fail. You just need to try harder to be able to succeed. And there's certainly exceptions to the rule, but I've got a bit of a a theory that sometimes uh, natural talent or uh, great intelligence as a kid is a bad thing because if everything tends to come easy, uh, then you've never really had to fight for anything. You've never really had to work. It's always been easy if I'm a great rugby player or cricket player or academically, it's just come easy relative to the next person. It's hard to develop that skill of grit, resilience, work ethic. You've, you, some people have to fight for it, and I actually think that's a good thing. Um, and, and clearly there's exceptions to the rule, but uh, maybe that sort of talks to a certain aspect to uh, what the SEALs experience in terms of, you know, theory, you get the best of the best, the smartest, they would be the best. But maybe there's uh, an element of that uh, in terms of, uh, you know, that uh, that fight or uh, grit that you have to sort of show when you don't always have those attributes to get there. Yeah. 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 So now I'm keen to transition now to, um, uh, you know, you on a, a daily uh, basis or, or yeah, any sort of habits or rituals that you do or have to get the most out of each day. And, and obviously with young kids, you know, sometimes that's got to be fluid. Um, we know that. But uh, anything you do in that regard to get the most out of every day? Um, definitely good time management. Yep. <laughs> must be on a schedule. Yep. Um, and just, you know, allocating your time correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also making sure that you have time for yourself. So, mm. Our family's very, very busy, as I'm sure most families yeah. are. Um, so once we've all had dinner, we always sit down and have dinner together. So breakfast and dinner 
uh, or, or lunch if it's on a weekend. We always sit down and have that as a family. So that's really our time to connect because I think it's really important to make sure those relationships, especially at the core of the family, are really strong. Um, so we have all our meals together. And then at night, once the kids are all bathed and in bed, um, I probably sit down and my husband and I do a bit of yoga. So it's oh, kind of cool. like a de-stress. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and then relax. And I just find for me, I don't get much exercise during the yeah. day being yeah. in an office job. Yep. Um, so having that, you know, half an hour, do a bit of yoga at the evenings is, is a pretty good wind down for me. That's good. Is that stuff that you've always done or you've sort of learnt and, and built on that framework over time? Because I think a busy person like yourself, ambitious, uh, career orientated, a lot of demands. Um, often people, you know, find out the hard way the impact on relationships and health and all that sort of stuff. So, how did you sort of come to that realisation that those habits and rituals were advantageous in the scheme of things? I think you can, like for me, I could feel in myself if my relationship, you know, wasn't 100% perfect and that it was being neglected. Um, so you just try to take on those early cue signs and mm. you go, well, this is almost the most important thing in my life. Um, so it's understanding that that sometimes needs the priority and not taking, you know, anyone for granted and showing that appreciation. Um I've been with my husband for probably almost 15 years now. So yeah. luckily, from, you know, when I was at uni. Yep. Um, so I think it's just more about understanding that that you need to value that relationship and work's always going to be that. There are always going to be more hours that yep. you can spend on work. Yep. Uh, but sometimes you'd need to go, no, I need, you know, a couple of hours of family time. You know, I need to be a mum, I need to be a wife. And then work can come after that. So you need to find that balance. Well, congrats to you. A lot of people get that wrong, as you know. <laughs> so I think it's a very considered and admirable view and, and approach to things. So that's... Uh, that's really good and maybe a good takeaway for those that are listening. Uh, I guess we're, we're sort of nearing the podcast, end of the podcast now. I guess if I was to ask you why you're so passionate about engineering, what would your response be? Because I don't know all the answers. <laughs> and you've got this quest and desire to, to try and solve. I think every yeah. day I learn something new. Yeah. Um, I've always been just so interested to understand, yeah. you know, aspects of the world and how mm. we live. Mm. And I think, you know, as an engineer, you are naturally inquisitive as well. Um, so, yeah, looking back, I don't think I could have chosen a more perfect career and yeah. moving forward, you know, I'm sure I'm going to have so many more questions that I'm going to want to try to find an answer to or, or solve for. Well, I think that's an awesome answer for the question I'm about to ask. So I think some people would say an engineer's job is to solve problems we don't yet know about uh, or things we haven't considered. So as we sort of turn our mind to your current environment with BHP, you know, what do you see the minds of the future looking like and how does engineering tie into this? It's such an exciting time for mining. Uh, you know, we're on the brink of the fourth industrial revolution and the way that technology is playing a part it's, it's evident that the two are going to work together. So having everything, you know, getting that real-time data, being able to, to monitor the progress, being able to improve productivity, you know, there's absolutely so many, you know, aspects of technology that will come into the mining industry from that safety perspective as well, you know, especially on the last few years, um, especially last couple of months, has been quite a spate mm. of, you know, um, serious incidents anything that, that we can do to prevent that to make our lives safer you know that would hopefully even draw more people to the industry um and it's yeah it's really exciting to know who knows where the next 20 years are going to end up yeah no and i think we're already sort of seeing that with uh the flight of automation and, and new job categories 
expanding. Uh, I mean, five or ten years ago, if you thought we were going to be recruiting a, dro- a, a drone operator, you would have said, you're crazy, what's that? You know. So now you're seeing some uh, crazy interesting roles start to really sort of come into the mix that didn't typically exist. So I too agree. It's an exciting time for engineering and also mining. And I guess probably the last question I'd just like to uh, ask uh, is one, a more of a philosophical one, and and I guess I'd be interested to understand from your point of view, knowing what you know now, which you know experience was, and and uh, more worldly based on your experience, knowing what you know now, what piece of advice if you could pass on to that young lady at seventeen up in Atherton, what would you say to that person? <laughs> it's always an interesting question. Um, I think it's just uh, definitely be open. And know that you will fail, but that's probably a sign of being successful. Um, you know, you will try things that don't work. You, you will be in some situations that are incredibly difficult. Um, but it's having that courage and that, you know, that grit to, to stand back up, you know, face the challenge again, do it better. Uh, I think it's something that, you know, I'd like to prepare my 17-year-old self for and probably <laughs> something I had to learn the hard way. Well, I think sometimes it's good to learn the hard way, but I, I, I too agree. And, and a lot of people say if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. You're too in your comfort zone. You're not learning. You're not growing. So uh, I love those notions of, of courage, uh, grit, um, and obviously you're you're an avid learner and, and, and someone that likes to take on challenges and see challenges as a positive thing. So... I think there's uh, no doubt you're humble, but I think uh, many people would agree you're a role model and I think the industry and the profession needs people like you and obviously you've been accoladed for that. So really appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. I think there's some fantastic takeaways to inspire others to hopefully follow in your footsteps. So thanks so much for joining us, Lydia. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to join us here and listen to the podcast.